0: I'm Alex and I'm Harrison and this is dream a little deeper a critical retrospective on the Walt Disney Animation Studios films
1: today we're talking about Fantasia.
0: So, if you've listened to our last two episodes, then you know how this podcast is structured. So we're going to start each episode with a little background information, so whatever we think is important when understanding the film we're talking about. Uh, With Snow White, we talked about the history of animation up to 1937, um, and then we talked about ways Walt and his animators began to develop that signature Disney animation style with Pinocchio. Uh, There are a few things I want to hit on before we talk about Fantasia. Uh, I want to touch more on this whole European style of animation uh, and a bit about how that influenced the creative process with Fantasia um, and also why it's so different to anything else Disney's done up to this point. And then we're going to talk about sound engineering, so there's a lot of things, all very different. but all still very important when talking about Fantasia. So in Snow White, we talked about the European style of animation and then the more common North American style. So European was high art, avant-garde, experimentalist. It also wasn't very popular during the late 30s and early 40s, which is when U.S. animation was gaining popularity. In the US, animation was mostly cheap cartoons, animators made their cartoons move in outlandish ways, emphasizing the anti-realistic nature, Um, and you can see it in early cartoons like Betty Boop and other Fleischer productions. Disney's Snow White and Pinocchio present almost a new third style of animation, uh, the Disney Formalism style, that focuses on realism and making things appear and emote as lifelike as possible. But with Fantasia, Disney doesn't work on perfecting this hyperrealism style. Fantasia is a largely experimental film. In fact, in Chris Palant's book Demystifying Disney, he quotes Sergei Eisenstein who says Fantasia is, quote, "the purest example of animation's ability to reconcile what might otherwise be disparate art forms." So, I could go on to explain how and what this even means, but Harrison, you're like the biggest Fantasia nerd I've ever met. So, would you like to go into this a little bit more?
1: Yeah, so roughly what I think Eisenstein is saying here is animation has the ability to more uh, more aptly and more ably bridge literally different art forms. Um in this case, it's visual art and animation with music. Um it's there's this idea of like synesthesia where you experience one sense with another so like the idea of being able to taste color basically something like that um or feel music like physically um and this is fantasia is attempting to enable you is is attempting to let you physically see the music on screen in a lot of places um especially in the first half where it is pure experimental um scenes of just colors in sync to the music in an effort to really evoke what the music is going for where, and then later in the back half using more traditional narrative structure to almost give voice to these pieces in a way that the music does, the music does give voice to the to the ideas of of the composer because like that's what music does but the animation adds another layer to it and almost makes it more parsable in a way.
0: So how would you say that um, then this style of animation compares to something that's more avant-garde like European? Do you think that it draws more from European or is it kind of its new, its own type of animation or own form of animation?
1: I don't think I can answer that. I'm not familiar. I'm, not, I'm honestly not familiar enough with European animation of the time so I, that's fair I, yeah i just don't think i can answer that question
0: i just thought i'd ask fair, you know.
1: fair question can't <laughs> answer it The
0: question i have um so then i think it's also important to note that disney didn't have like sole creative judgment over this movie like he did with snow white or pinocchio now because he's disney he was still a major micromanager Um, Again, Chris Pallant talks about that he was very involved in workforce operations, apparently with Fantasia, because of all the financial difficulties they were in with Pinocchio. Um, He made his staff, like, punch in and out for drinking water, using the restroom, sharpening pencils. But when it comes to, like, the aesthetic of the film and everyday stylistic decisions, animators drew their inspiration from other sources, like Igor Stravinsky, Deems Taylor, and Leopold Stokowski. Um... Who the latter, Deems Taylor and Leopold, they ended up being in the final film, which we can talk about later. Um, So, the story of how Wall got Stokowski on board with the project is pretty interesting. Um, So, before he began really putting Fantasia into production, so this is like before Snow White even hit the box office. Mickey Mouse was beginning to lose his popularity to characters with more personality. And then when Snow White came out, this became even more of an issue because people were gravitating towards, you know, the seven dwarves and Snow White and the evil queen. Because Mickey was such an important character to Walt, he wanted to create some sort of epic animation that really featured him um, and got the idea for the Sorcerer's Apprentice. So this is where Stokowski comes in. Walt runs into the guy at some restaurant in Hollywood, pitches him the idea, and the guy loves it. He's so on board, so he, like, gets with the music, he wants to perfect the score as much as possible, spends hours with the orchestra just to make sure it's, everything's perfect. Um, But it began to cost a lot of money, and Walt really couldn't justify spending that much on just one short. Not to mention, Stokowski was, like, totally on board, still loving it, wanted to do more. Then they got the idea to make more experimental shorts like The Sorcerer's Apprentice and then just to slap them all in one movie. Walt hired Deems Taylor to choose which music pieces to include in the film. That's how the creative process worked for these pieces. First they'd choose the music and then animators would create something that reminded them of the music, like Harrison just said. And Deems Taylor is the guy that you see standing up and introducing each of the pieces before every segment with his little dialogue. Now pairing animation and music like this wasn't entirely new for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, Music and animation pairings were silly symphonies, but now they weren't matching music with slapstick animation. There was a level of sophistication with what they were trying to accomplish. With that being said, you can still see an essence of Disney's formalism in Fantasia, specifically Walt's desire to convey emotional believability as he was designing Mickey. For the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence, Mickey gets pupils in his eyes for one of the first times. They actually did it um, in a couple shorts that aired in 1939, so before Fantasia came out. Um, But the reason Walt did this is because Mickey couldn't speak in the Sorcerer's Apprentice and needed to find some way for him to be. Expressive, And then Harrison, you're going to talk to us a bit about the sound engineering of Fantasia. Yeah. So, like, why was it such a big deal?
1: So, uh, theaters around this time were mostly equipped with mono sound. Like, the sound is coming out of one speaker, usually just behind the screen, single audio channel. Um, what Walt wanted to do with Fantasia was really was to really try and replicate the experience of being at the orchestra physically um with the with the orchestra directly in front of you in the pit and like the music just kind of filling the air around you rather than coming out of a single audio source so they got the idea to create this they created this thing called Fantasound, which was basically 3.1 surround um but in like 1940s early 1940s uh, so what they did was they had three audio tracks. They had one on the left, one in the center, and one in the right of the theater. And then they also had speakers in the back. So you can see why I'm drawing comparisons to 3.1 Surround. Yeah. Um, each speaker set would play a different part of the audio track. And then the the goal was to let the 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 components organically mix in the air in the air around you to really like fill the space and make it feel like whole and less manufactured than if it was all coming all of it was coming out of all the speakers at once. Um, it was incredibly expensive. (laughs) Um, I think they like wanted a lot of theaters to to retrofit. The system into the auditoriums But it was so prohibitively prohibitively Expensive For so many theaters And theater chains Uh, Well I don't think chains were a thing at this point Um, But for so many theaters That only I think only like two or three Were able to actually do it (laughs) Um, So they had to Tone it back um, And basically take it as a roadshow around the country um in a slightly co- in it slightly in a compromised fashion um
0: do you know how much it costs to install fantasound
1: i cannot remember off the top of my head i'm pretty sure Palant says so in the book
0: Eighty-five thousand yeah. dollars per theater
1: yeah it's prohibitively expensive. Yes. That that much money in 1941 money is insanity. So, instead of instead of doing that, they switched it over to mono, cut the film down to about 81 minutes and showed it around that way. Um eventually as audio tech became got more and more advanced and it became more and more possible, uh, they added it, they buffed it back out to the full 115 minutes and put the audio back in. At around 2000, I think it was, they restored the audio to full 5.1 surround sound and tried to get the original film back to as close to the original as possible.
0: Fun fact with that, um, I read that they lost all of Deems Taylor's audio. (laughs) So some other guy had to dub over it. I can't remember his name. (laughs) But like, the
1: (laughs) won't. yeah that sucks,
0: and then you know animators like they enjoyed working on Fantasia, right? like this was a fun project for them to oh do. absolutely right um, and yet we don't see anything else at like this really after Fantasia, at least in the immediate you know decade or so um after Fantasia, Walt and his company they go completely back to what they were working on before, like this Disney formalism style, or like. You know the hyper realism and the emotional believability um and the reason why is it all really comes down to the financial I, th- I think like one of the reasons is it really comes down to like the finances of the company so you have whole snow white huge commercial success fantasia was not it only made 1.3 million at the box office and had like a $2, $3, 2.3 million dollar budget now this is possibly due to world war Two. Because, you know, this is ramping up at the time, um, foreign markets were cut off, and like we said, Fantasound was hella expensive to, like, install in these theaters. So, you know, that was digging into the budget as well. Um, and then people, like, were really divided as to whether or not they enjoyed Fantasia. You know, some people absolutely adored it, but a portion of the classical music community really, like, hated Fantasia. They were all like, oh, the animation, it just, like, demeans the music. It brings it down to this lower level of art. Ugh. And um, and they also said that Stakowski like, botched the music, which, you know, wrecked him. There was a New York film, a couple uh, New York film critics who saw it, and saw it as a failed attempt at high culture, Um, and yet the common person who saw Walt as this unpretentious guy beforehand, now saw him as like super pretentious and way too intellectual. So wildly different reception to this to this movie and. So the original plan was they were going to re-release Fantasia like every few years, and they were going to add a new segment each time. And there's actually evidence that the Walt Disney Company was starting to do this. There's records of Dean Taylor's intros for some of the segments. Tchaikovsky recorded some of the pieces already, and there's actually a full short already made. Um, they were going to animate it to the song Clara La, lune, La Clara La lune. Um, and that was gonna be for the next release, but after the box office fail, Disney scrapped the plans and then used that segment for Make My Music, which we'll talk about when we get to Make My Music. So, later on, Fantasia got more high praise. Um, it was finally considered a Disney classic in 1969. Currently, it ranks number 58 on the AFI's top 100 films and number 5 on its top 100 animated films list. So, it's up there with Snow White. And it finally did get that re-release in 2000. It took a long-ass time, but it got there. Um, and, of course, we'll talk about that down the road. But that's, like, what, at this point, two years away at the rate we're going with production right now?
1: Okay, so, um, you said you wanted to start this week.
0: Yes. I did, because I think out of the two of us, you feel most passionately about Fantasia.
1: Sorry, the Fantasia Defender has logged on. That was my sick day movie as a kid. My parents have told me that, like... I think the most I watched it in one day was, like, four times. And, like, up until we started this, I felt like I was the crazy person. Fantasia is my favorite Disney movie, hands down. No, I love Fantasia. That's the exact opposite. It's my favorite one of their movies. I personally think Fantasia is, like, the best thing they've ever made. I feel so vindicated by this podcast. That is true.
0: So, I just want to start by saying, you've said before that this is a movie that you return to, like every other year um and like you know some people are like oh i've seen my favorite movie like the last time five years ago but you're like no like it's consistent why when you think about fantasia like what about it draws you back every other year
1: so i think part of it is the fact that this is the closest to synesthesia i'm ever gonna get because if i'm just sitting there listening to classical music i'm just like cool i don't i don't i don't care But like putting it with the visual, the pairing with the visuals brings out an extra dimension for the music for me and has made this music like one, the music is easy to listen to, but two, it's easier to understand when it's got the, the stuff paired with it, even when it's the weird experimental abstract stuff at the beginning.
0: Do you think that like it's a movie that when you watch it, you find something new about it every time?
1: I definitely notice more things about like the production or like how it's framed or um, like different, uh, different ways the animation is syncing up the music every time. This is not something I really can like, I'm not going to say because nothing can like avoid interpretation, right? Like everything is interpretable. If you're willing to put the legwork in and like, show your sources but like this is not this is outside of my comfort zone in terms of analysis which is very strange for me because I analyze everything um there's some weird like there's I I'm noticed the uh the weird race and race and culturist stuff going on this time um which I never noticed before so like I'm noticing different aspects of everything um around it if that makes sense uh, every time but like it's hard to get it's hard I I don't know I just don't like <laughs> ask me that question again in two years because <laughs> like I have stronger we'll probably critical...
0: still be doing this podcast
1: <laughs> yeah honestly we'll do Fantasia round two. I don't know actually no we'll revisit this when we get to Fantasia 2000 because I'm Smart. probably because Harrison's gonna be that person who's like well I have to watch the first one. So we'll revisit that question when we get to Fantasia 2000, because I have critical faculties now that I didn't have two years ago when I watched it last.
0: Right. What would you say is like your favorite? Do you have like a favorite sequence?
1: Yeah. Night on Ball Mountain. Night on Ball Mountain slaps. It's so fucking good. Um, just Chernobog is so cool. He's so mean. He's so well-drawn. He's so pointy. I love him. But yeah, definitely Mountain" Mountain's my favorite because just, like, the aesthetics of it and just that song rules. That song is so good. Like, it's so mean. It's so chaotic. It's so discordant. Not in the way that Rite of Spring is discordant, though. Um, I don't know. That hits... Not a ball mountain just hits like the darker parts of me really well, and it like a lot of media right now is super grim and dark. But like this is grim and dark in like that kind of fun way that not a lot of stuff is right now. Everything's just kind of grim and terrible, uh, and this is just a nice way to get that grim terribleness. But also just like <laughs> he made the fire ladies dance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will say I think I was most blown away by the animation with night on bald mountain um i thought that i was like not gonna lie i was trying not to fall asleep that's fair (laughs) because well also because i started the movie late and it's two hours and i kept getting distracted because of things yeah um so by the time i got there it was pretty late and i was like okay no this is the good one like keep your eyes open and it it kept me engaged and just like the animation of like i guess it's the souls mm-hmm. as they're like floating up they're I so thought scary was so scary and like so well done um i thought that um what's his name the the, the, the guy on the mountain the, the, that is the mountain chernabog chernabog I thought he was drawn very fluidly. Um, You know, we talked with Pinocchio about, like, the fluidity of the animation. I thought that really, really came through. And, like, it didn't, like, it just, like, sometimes, like, with the souls, you know, you kind of see it and you're like, yeah, this is, like, your typical cell animation. You know, like, you can kind of see it. It's still beautiful and it's still really well done. But with him, you're just like, oh my gosh, like you could be real. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I could I could see you as being real. And yeah. that's really, really cool. He also gave me, and I guess we'll talk about this later, but major like Horn King vibes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my get, I buy that.
0: And for people who don't know Horn King, he's the villain in the Black Cauldron, which we'll talk about when we get to the eighties. We'll talk um, about it in
1: like three years. It's fine. <laughs> a- <laughs> Yeah, so, like, last week we ta- I, I talked about how the fluidity of the Blue Fairy is, like, almost uncanny and a little bit troubling. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that reaction here with Chernobog. I think, like, there are parts of me that are like, did they just draw over the reference images with the Blue Fairy and, like, not rotoscope it, but just, like, one-to-one match the reference footage here. I'm like, Oh no, they 100% one-to-one match the reference footage, but because he's so big and so isolated through most of it, it doesn't scan as weird. It's just like, Oh yeah, that's Satan. That's that. (laughs) Yep, That is how Satan's supposed to move. Yep. That (laughs) is.
0: Yeah. It's just the way. Like, I don't even know like the eyes, but also the way he carries himself. Like just everything about it. Just phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Oh my phenomenal. gosh. Phenomenal. So it's good. so good. Just
1: so, just so good. And like, I it's such a brilliant... Dis- one, the, pair, the pairing of Night on Ball Mountain and Ave Maria is so mm. good. It's so, so good. Um, but also, having Night on Ball Mountain follow Dance of the Hours is also a master stroke of pacing. Because just Explain. in terms of like... The ebb and flow. Okay, so like dance of the hours, it's like in the the lead up to it, it's like we got the we got the morning, we got the afternoon, we got the night, and just in terms of like the thematic pacing of it, we st- the last two acts start at the daytime, descend into night, end in chaos, and then out of the chaos rises Chernobog, and he's like, "Ha Your souls are mine!" Da 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 da! Dancing dancing all around, and then. Uh we go from there to the church bells ringing. We do the Ave Maria and the pilgrimage, and then the sun rises up again like it's an entire day's worth like a day's worth of events contained in those last two mm-hmm. so just in terms of like pacing it out it's super super good
0: that's a good observation I was just i i was thinking i guess for me when I was thinking about it i'm like, okay like dance of the hours is little more lighthearted like yes there's chaos but like then the gators and the hippos are dancing and you're like okay like sure
1: Um, and then like it's so much fun though it's so much fun fun. (laughs) I love that alligator I love that alligator with the feather in his hat he's so he's such a little stinker
0: (laughs) why is he a stinker go into that (laughs) because you know what I'm saying
1: he's like He's flirting with this. He's very clearly flirting with the hippo, and the oh, hippo's 100%. Pl- the hippo's playing hard to get. I don't really detect any malicious intent coming from the from the from the main uh, crocodile alligator. Uh, the others a little bit malicious. They're they're hungry and they're creepy. I don't like them. Uh, but the main guy is like absolutely flirting, and she's playing hard to get. Um, but I get the sense that the other hippos are like misreading everything, which causes the chaos. Um, mm. I don't know. I just don't want to read any malicious intent behind him because I love him so much. He's so funny. And it's just like, no, I
0: didn't think he was malicious either. I thought that he was just like smitten and was like, ah, oh.
1: but like just the way he's like spinning her around and then sits on her leg and goes for a ride. I just I think he's fun. I think it's fun. <laughs> he's just up to some mischief. he's trying he's he's trying to make a friend.
0: He just wants to have a good time. Uh-huh. He's like, you know, what? it's night. It's my time to come out now <laughs> i'm I'm allowed. <laughs> oh, look, there's a hippo. oh, she's a pretty hippo. <laughs> yeah oh, but no, yeah, like you have like a really fun, lighthearted sequence followed by Satan himself you know and so like i thought you know it's just two very stark contrasts which i didn't dislike it wasn't jarring so i want to hear a little more about the um oh what was it called the soundtrack okay like what just
1: like are we ta- are we talking about the music or the literal soundtrack bit
0: no, the literal soundtrack bit.
1: Okay, I love it so much. The soundtrack, like, it's wild to me that they were like, oh, yeah, like, right after intermission, let's just play with a waveform for a little bit. Like, let's artistically represent this waveform in a way that is absolutely not represent- representative of what waveforms actually look like. But we can again try to provide a visual representation for the audio that they're hearing um my favorite <laughs> my favorite part of it is like one the way he like slides in <laughs> like he just, like he got pulled by one of the vaudeville canes um but then when he's when when the soundtrack waveform is doing the oboe and the narrator just goes, Come on, drop the other shoe. And he just smacks the waveform into the ground and the little ends are just going wooloo, 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 just wiggling as it as it's just way down there. I don't know. I just think it's a really fun way. And as a kid it really helped me understand like the range of sounds and pitches uh that instruments have and the ways they like all hit different and because like if we look at the the percussion section part of the waveform the cymbals hit different than the snare drums hit different than the bass drums and they're all visually represented differently and it's probably closest in style to the first very first section of the film uh first animated section anyway because that's just like it's just lines it's just flourishes of light just trying to represent the feeling these animators had while listening to this music and animating to it. Um, And the waveform is a more concrete way to try and represent that. Like it's a more grounded and straight out, closer to a straight up depiction of what this sound would look like in like audacity or something.
0: Right. I did think, I, I will say when they would add like the drum to the oboe, or the bassoon, or whatever it was, and they had all those levels represented at once, it was very visually satisfying. Right. Just to see, like, how it all, like, was just represented right there. Because, like, when they were doing, like, the hot, like the violins and stuff, like, I love a good violin. Don't get me wrong. But just seeing it up there, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I hurt. Just, like, my whole body had this response to it. And then, like, but when it all came together... I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like <laughs> it was just a, it was a beautiful sight. And then I was like, "This is weird," but then I was also kind of into it.
1: Yeah, and then the percussion hits the triangle at the very end, and it's the highest thing in the entire set, and it's top of the screen, and it just makes a triangle in the waveform. And I'm just like, "Ah, brilliant! It's the best."
0: That was smart. I will say, that did. I was like, "Oh, well done." <laughs> the smart. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I thought that was a cute little segment. I was kind of like at first, like, "Oh my gosh! Like, are we really doing this right now?" <laughs> um, when like the waveform like screeched out. Um. But then, like, I feel like it kind of like it fits. Mm-hmm. It's it's hokey, but it fits.
1: <laughs> and it's also a nice way to ease back in after the intermission.
0: Which also can we just talk about the fact that there is an intermission,
1: right? Like I completely forgot. Fantasia is just like, nah, we we need to take five. Wait, give us a second.
0: The only other like film I've seen that's done that is Sound of Music,
1: right? But like those old epic musicals like Sound of Music, Gone with the Wind, Ben oh, Gone Hur, with the Wind too, Ten yeah. Commandments, like um, Bennobs and Broomsticks has an intermission, I think. Um I th- I feel like it does because it's just it's just long enough. I could be wrong. I haven't seen that movie in a while. Or
0: is it like an overture?
1: That's uh, the overture I'm thinking of. I think
0: it's an overture. It's yeah. not like an inter because um, I know what you're talking about.
1: Right, There's but that like, moment. but like those long events have intermissions. Um, I saw the roadshow showing uh of Hateful Eight when it was in seventy millimeter, uh, and that has an intermission in it. Like that movie has a intermission built in but if you watch it at home it just plows through um and it's it's interesting to see that on the on the Disney Plus release they kind of preserve the intermission they don't leave the full 15 minutes in um cuz if i recall correctly from my childhood the VHS leaves the full 15 inter- minute intermission in there uh which i think is great because Walt wanting to replicate the actual experience of going to the symphony. But with the extra visuals, of course, you're going to want to put that intermission in there. Right. Which, while we're talking about like the experience of going to the symphony, um, the bit... like I can't remember what it's before. I feel like it might be before Rite of Spring. Um, when <laughs> they knock over all the chimes.
0: Okay, that's what I was wondering. Was that... Planned?
1: I have no idea.
0: Or did that just happen? Because I I wrote that. I remember watching it. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, was that staged? <laughs> but then it almost looked like too, like natural for that to happen. But then I'm like, but then how would they have the camera just like ready right there? I, right. I don't know.
1: But I mean, like, I feel like so. This is another weird thing about the the filming of this because when they're doing all the warm up, when they're doing their orchestral warm up at the beginning, right? F- one love that they leave that in there. Yeah. I love it to death because, again, replicating the experience of being at at a show or at the symphony, you're gonna have the like orchestral murmur of everybody tuning up. Uh, so you have like you if you want to replicate the full on experience, you got to have that. But also like. They just kind of have cameras on all of the different parts at all times.
0: Right. So,
1: so I, to- they, like- I, I totally believe that the chimes falling over could have been an accident, but also I 100% believe that it, would, it could also have been planned because like, if you weird incidences like that are going to occur at a live show. And so if you want to preserve that feeling and remind people that, like, hey, this is a thing that you are actually experiencing. These are real people. This is not just a production. You want to try and keep some of that in there. Uh, which also, when the times fall over, you can hear on the audio track there's people like jittering skittering and laughing along, laughing about it. It's very strange,
0: kind of going off the beginning of it as well, like when we go back to the them warming up, I thought it was I thought that Disney was very much telling you what you were gonna get in like the first ten seconds because what we see is like this empty kind of abstract it's like a stage maybe but you can't really just see it as a stage and it starts because you can see all the um musicians shadows on the scrim as they're coming in and but it's not like very distinct human shapes. It's just kind of these blobs of dark moving and they come in and it's paired with the sound of them coming in and warming up their instruments and everything. And it's all very abstract. So within like the first 10 seconds, you really do know, okay, this is going to be orchestra based. And also what I'm about to see is going to be different. It's not like, it's not supposed to be like, And then it does like the sequences do get concrete as it goes on, but like that first sequence is just like shapes and colors and movement, and I felt like they set it up well, just right off the bat.
1: Yeah, on top of the fact that the 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 narrator literally says, "Yeah, strap in." Not all of this is narrative.
0: I saw that too. Yeah, he there was like the three different types of like. Okay, I also just
1: I also just want to say this outright um, this movie looks incredible this transfer they have on Disney Plus is wild like the footage the live action footage of the of the players and uh, Stakovsky and the narrator I cannot for the life of me
0: it did uh, look really good
1: Deems Taylor uh, yes. they look incredible it's so crisp. Can we please just go back to using film for everything? Like, digital is fine, but can we go back to using film, please?
0: Well, that's what was interesting. Was I th- So when they first started playing... the, fr- What's the first one? Da-da. Uh, what was t- that? What's that called?
1: Uh, Toccata and Fugue in D minor.
0: Toccata and Fugue in D minor. So when they started playing that... It was interesting because the music itself sounded very old. Like just, you know, when you hit those high bits of like that, you know, that bit. And I was like, and it was weird because I think, like you said, like it looks good. It's so crisp. It's so clear. It doesn't look like an old film necessarily. And so like seeing what was going on, but then hearing that it was a little jarring for me because I was kind of like, wait it kind of brought me back to, and I had to remind myself, Alex, this was like made in the forties, you know? Right. And that was a yeah. weird thing I had to remind myself of. Cause it, for the longest time I like, it doesn't feel like you're watching a film from the forties.
1: No, it really does not. I think of all the early period Disney, like, I think this has aged the best, like hands yeah. down because they didn't like confine, like they did not confine themselves to, formalism like they didn't like this is not f- Disney formalist in any way shape or form like this movie kind of like even compared to Fantasia 2000 this movie a thing of its own like there's nothing else like it like Fantasia 2000 comes close but it's more it's still kind of classical music but it's like more poppy this is like we are making like I can almost see Walt in his office just going we're making art damn it
0: you know i bet that was a direct quote that he said multiple times as they were making this film
2: i am jack coddle i am a film graduate well whatchamacallit Major graduate of Denison University. I currently work for Verizon and ESPN in Sterling, Virginia. Um, I am a big fan of like all the classic millennial nerd things: Star Wars, Marvel, etc. And which call down the road, I'd love to be a professor because I love film and talking about film and making people love that medium more.
0: While Jack didn't use the words Disney formalism. He also noticed the completely different style that Fantasia has compared to the Walt Disney Company's earlier films.
2: On the note of, again, artistic integrity versus commercialism, Fantasia I get was initially um, from my understanding, was initially like pitched by Walt as something to be a call like a more adult Disney experience to try and catapult animation into the adult like sphere of cinema but was kind of a commercial failure even if it's regarded nostalgically well
1: okay so in terms of aesthetics aesthetics and aestheticism where in your ranking does fantasia fall peak It's the peak. Um, Say more. Fantasia is Icarus.
2: Fantasia, they were really trying to... They flew too close to the sun. They wanted to do something really impressive, and I think pulled off a lot of it. They, They tried a lot of new styles and went in a lot of crazy, interesting directions that I just don't think... That I think in the studios where they'd been formulating this for ages and were hopeful that a 1940s audience could handle it. Um, It might have seemed tame, but audiences weren't ready for it at the time. I think Fantasia is about the peak, about the peak of like creating and playing with emotion that Disney storytelling can do. Um, I just don't think it's their standard. I think it's something way out in left field, whereas like, their main line is stuff like the Renaissance and the Golden and Silver Age films.
0: So this unique style of animation, as we've said before, was very divisive among audiences back when Fantasia hit theaters. People loved it or they hated it. And this mostly remained true when we talked to our guests but Justin had both reactions when watching the film, at different points in his life, of course.
3: You know what film I did not initially like but I've really come to appreciate is Fantasia. I watched Fantasia when I was, again, probably like five or six. I think one of my aunts introduced me to Fantasia, and I thought, okay, I'm aware, with, I'm, I'm aware of the, the Disney oeuvre and then I watch it, and I'm like, okay, there are some recognizable Disney characters, but everything else is super strange. And I wasn't familiar with the music at that point. And I was like, I don't I don't like this. There's not like, there aren't like clear, um, there's not a clear overarching narrative. It's not super easy to consume. But I went back to it in college. I think I studied it for a film class maybe, and I just watched it a lot. And I really, I dig it. I really dig it. Um, I think it's a brilliant, a brilliant piece of experimental uh, uh, film um, posing as um, a mainstream animated movie um, that would never be made now.
1: Fantasia is my favorite Disney movie, hands down.
3: Uh, it's so yeah. good. It's so good. That was my sick day movie as a kid. Really? Oh wow, that is a, that is a trip Dang. to be
1: sick and watch that movie. Oh boy, It'd be a lot. My parents t- have told me that like. I think the most I watched it in one day was, like, four times. Just back to back to back to back. Oh, my 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 God. God. I was a very strange kid. (laughs) Whoa.
0: I think the first time I watched it was music class in high school, and it was forced. We all sat in class to watch it. I was very confused.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I also got to go see... um, the National Symphony Orchestra do Fantasia Live. Whoa. It, that was incredible. That That's really cool. Yeah. It's also weird that this movie kind of flops so hard because it's had an outsized influence on a lot of Disney going forwards. Like you can kind of point to a lot of stuff. Like you can point to a lot of stuff in various Disney properties and be like, Oh yeah, that's Fantasia. Like Fantasia did that. Like, that's why this is here.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I will say as a, um, not a film enthusiast, <laughs> um, as much as most people I'd say, um, I also just think the fact that it is so non-narrative based it can be like sorcerer's apprentice i think is very narrative based but like the fact that it is so abstract i do think that they're like for most people like it is a kind of a boring movie if you're not into like if you're not into technical mastery
1: This is Alex just saying she found the movie boring, but not wanting to upset me.
0: (laughs) I didn't find it all boring. I actually did enjoy myself, and I checked my phone less than I did with Snow White. Fair. So there's
1: that. that I'll count that as a win.
0: When we were talking to Kaylee about her opinions on Disney films, she mentioned that the one thing she looks for most is a compelling story. Narrative is key. So she surprised me when she said Fantasia was one of her favorite films to watch.
4: I feel like they're good, like, if you need background music for something, if you're studying or working on something. Like, now I wouldn't, like, enjoy them for the visuals as much, but the music. But as a kid, it was the music and the visuals and everything put together.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think the visuals now aren't as appealing
4: Maybe, I guess just because I'm older, I'm not as into, like, anime stories like that. Mm-hmm. And now it doesn't really have a story to it either, from what I remember. It's just little different clips. So I think now that I'm older, I like more story-cohesive things, which Fantasia really isn't a story. Like, I just remember certain scenes from it. So right. maybe if I accurately watched it. Well,
0: I think, like, kind of what you're saying, though, it's not, like, a standard story. Where you have like, it's it's like a story through. I music, guess, yeah, and music and like the
4: like, little clips you see.
0: Yeah, but I guess it's not it's not something like
1: Bolt. Yeah, I,
4: yeah. Guess.
1: I mean it's not a front to back story, but each segment definitely has a self towards the end at least the back half all helps yeah. all have self-contained narratives sorry the fantasia defender has logged on um, <laughs> yeah that's
0: okay
1: um, no no i think i personally think fantasia is like the best thing they've ever made um so like each individual segment works as its own narrative especially in the back half um, but yeah. The one
4: that really sticks out to me is like Mickey Mouse when he was like in the wizard outfit, and I mm-hmm. remember like the dancing brooms and stuff. I, that's like the scene that I most vividly remember mm-hmm. from the movies, and that was its own little narrative,
1: right? Which I think is interesting because, and we talk about this a little bit the the music for that was written after the story, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So it it was. Huh. It was composed with the narrative in mind. That's probably why
4: they work so well then.
1: And for someone like you who has already said that narrative is a big draw for you, that's probably why that one sticks out in your brain. Probably. Aside from Disney's own marketing.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Harrison, why didn't you tell me this when we recorded the episode? (laughs)
1: Alex, they say it in the movie. (laughs) They say
4: it in the movie. (laughs)
0: As you can tell, Fantasia really ca- captured my attention. I was fully watching. <laughs> Did they really? Yes! <laughs> I'm killing this. The, I'm killing the,
1: this. Interst- the interstitials of Fantasia consistently give background and context for each segment of it. And he specifically said, like, he's talking about the chunks as narrative, and he says, like, this one has a specific specific narrative because it was composed after the original story. The story's been around for, like, thousands of years, but right. this piece of music was composed to go with it.
4: Mm. I skipped over all that part of what I was <laughs> gonna say.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like, you know when you're reading a book, and like a, like a, like an academic book, and there's, like, the introduction...
4: You don't want to read that. You want to get into the action. <laughs> I
0: I force myself to. Don't get me wrong, but it's really yeah, I, hard to pay attention.
4: It is. Harrison's like disappointed
0: in us. I did read okay, but for Disney, Demystifying Disney, I did read the intro.
1: Yeah, because the intro is super important to that book. It's almost know. like the intros are actually super important.
0: <laughs> well, if it's so important, make it chapter one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's whatever i'll put the master's degree away it's fine we'll move on
0: (laughs) so like and i was telling myself okay pinocchio obviously is the best so far fantasia is second I will it's say
1: it's all downhill from here for me. Like this is <laughs> oh this is God. the peak. They peaked in the 40s and they have never come close since. Like this is the single <laughs> this is the best thing the studios ever made. It's so good. This is good. the
0: only time you'll hear Harrison happy.
1: It's so, like the this movie just makes me feel so warm and fuzzy. And it's like it's it's so strange because like Sorcerer's Apprentice is like the touchstone. If you like like sorcerer mickey is such an icon at this point yes like yes. even like i would argue more than just regular ass mickey mouse people are like people will recognize the fuck the, the sorcerer's apprentice mickey immediately
0: i knew who sorcerer apprentice mickey was before i knew what fantasia was yeah exactly as like a um, casual disney I, I was not a casual disney consumer but like as like a like a like a born in the 90s disney oh. consumer
1: Right. Um and like Night on ball mountain has also kind of had a like a pretty decent impact and like it's it's it it is so hard for me to untangle my feelings about Disney from Kingdom Hearts. It is <laughs> physically impossible because like but like so if you're going to make a if you're going to make a video game and it's got Disney stuff in it What are the big ones you're going to hit? You're going to hit Tarzan. You're going to hit Hercules. You're going to hit Alice in Wonderland. You're going to hit Peter Pan, hit Little Mermaid. Um, Like a lot of the Renaissance. Lion King didn't come around until two. But the fact that (laughs) there is. Chernobog is in the first Kingdom Hearts game as like a pretty major fight, like boss towards the end. Chernobog made it into Kingdom Hearts before anything from The Lion King did.
0: Well, and I think that's also, though, like exemplary of just the fact that, like you said, you look at him and you're like, oh, there's Satan. But like, when you look at Scar, because he's, and we'll talk about this later, because he's coded as like an effeminate man, like he's not, he like, he's sleazy, but I don't think he ever really comes across as like. Threatening. <laughs> Threatening. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's fair. You know, fair. whereas like Chernabog, you're like,
1: oh, oh my that's, God. That's a, that's a big man I could punch. <laughs>
0: he won't kill me i have a random thought what is it with disney and sexy fish
1: i told you i told you last week and you were like and you were like okay and i was complaining about this to mallory uh my girlfriend and she goes are you attracted to the fish, Harrison? And I'm like, no, I'm not attracted to the fish. I'm not <laughs> attracted to the fish. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, why do I think these... Why do I describe these as sexy fish? I'm not attracted to the fish at all. <laughs> um, but I, I hit upon it during the Nutcracker thing. They have Jessica Rabbit face. Yes. Like, they gave the, the Jessica Rabbit's face. It's and the I'm hooded
0: like, eyes with the long lashes... And they like they, looks directly into the camera.
1: Uh huh. And the way that they move, the way they the, they're fish, so they swim. You know what's part of swimming? Wiggling your ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but here's the real question. Also, with all of that, is did just one man animate this? Both Cleo and the Fantasia sexy fish. Who is this man? Know. And what is his fixation about with fish? And why does he like, like? Why is he why so good does- at making them look sexy? Like Why? what's that about? it's like
1: it's like all the I we need to see if more fish come up. We need to track this through like early Disney. <laughs> we'll have to Disney. have
0: like a fish count.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um but it's also just the way that like early Disney draws things it perceives to be feminine. Um th- there are just straight up boobs in this movie. Just like there are boobs. It is bizarre.
0: One of the first things I noted about the Nutcracker Suite was that there were naked fairies.
1: Yeah, but like... Fairies not that even...
0: were clearly women, but did not... Yeah. Just, yeah. you know.
1: There is a lot of nudity in this movie. Like, not like a lot... No, gen, no genitalia, just nope. nudity. The fuck... The, mm, the cherubs? Oh, the, babies? the cherubs? The cherubs? It, yeah. That man's butt made a heart. And they kept it on screen for too long. <laughs> I do not need to be looking at this man's bottom. Thank you, Walt. No, thank you.
0: Uh, <laughs> that's a mood.
1: Oh, okay. Mm, since we've come back around to the, the stuff and around the pastoral stuff, I do have a little bit of thematic analysis I want to complain about. Go for it. Um, One, extremely heteronormative. All the all the cent all the all all the centaurs got paired up.
0: Not only that, but the men are all like beefy men, and the women are all like, "Oh my gosh, I am beautiful, curvy centaur lady, and I'm going to strip bark off of this tree to make a hat that no one will see after the hat is on my head."
1: Same with the bird.
0: Um. Same with the bird.
1: But like centaurs get paired with like they're all they're matched with their similar color don't mix the races everybody don't mix the races
0: okay also i would like to point out that this is the edited the one on disney plus is the edited fantasia where we don't see the appalling racial stereotype we do however see the two zebra centaurs
1: (laughs) the slightly less appalling stereotype
5: Hi, my name is Lindsay Santoy, and I am a librarian at the largest middle school in the Tulsa Public School System here in Oklahoma.
0: Sweet. What do you like to do in when you're not being a librarian?
5: I am a. I watch a lot of Disney movies, which is probably why I'm here. Um, I also do a lot of reading, which is why I'm a librarian, and I write as well as a side passion.
0: I learned while working on our episode on Dumbo that Lindsay S. wrote a research paper that examined race in early Walt Disney films. So we brought her on to explain why the racial stereotype that I just mentioned is now considered to be appalling.
5: Oh, my favorite scene, as I mentioned, is the, the centaur and, and unicorn scene. It's very Greek. It's very flowy. It's very pastel. That's the scene where there was an excerpt taken on the Disney Plus released version. If you pay attention to that scene, you'll notice that every centaur you see is a white human half. There are no different races of any kind in the current released version you can find online. In the original movie theatrical release, there was multiple races. There was one small female centaur. She, it, she was kind of styled as a child. And she was dark black, dark skin, the big, puffy, super racist lips. And everything she did involved cleaning up for the people around them doing the hair, shining the hooves and she had this big smile and would just trot after them and generally help them be the flowy graceful beings that they are. And that scene was eventually identified as being racist as heck and instead of possibly you know trying to correct the entire scene they just completely took her out of it. Um, Which I don't know what they filled it in with. I was just thinking to myself if there was a section of the music that was taken, or if they just filled it with another airy view. I'm not sure. Now, I would be interested in seeing what exactly they replaced it with.
0: I ended up doing some research on my own to see how exactly the Walt Disney Company was able to erase this character from the film. After a little like Google research, the character erased is called Sunflower but then I began to get confused. Lindsay mentioned one black centaur girl. The internet recognized one black centaur girl. But when I watched it, I noticed two or three, as there are three black centaur girls with three different hairstyles. One with four bows, one with two bows and a sunflower, and one with two low braids and two sunflowers. Now, it's perfectly plausible that the character changed her hairstyle three times during the scene. But we don't see that happening as we do with the female centaurs as they're getting ready to meet the male centaurs. Let's just say there's just one black centaur girl, Sunflower. Her character portrayal is still racist. And if there's three black centaur girls, well that just makes it worse because the Walt Disney Company and some audiences lump them all together under one name, Sunflower. They are not given distinct names, personalities, or physical signifiers that allow audiences to easily determine one from the other. So let's just assume there's one, Sunflower. How did the company erase her from the film? Primarily, the Walt Disney Company zoomed in on those scenes in the film as to keep the scene but crop out the character. But there's one scene where a Pink female centaur, now beautified for her meeting with the male centaur, is strutting around. Sunflower follows her, holding up a chain of flowers that is draped over the pink centaur's body. I don't know how, but the company was able to completely erase Sunflower and the flower chain from the scene entirely. However, if you watch the pink centaur's eyes, you can see she's looking at specific points as she struts, which is where Sunflower was walking in the original film. And, as I mentioned before, there are still two black centaurs that made it into the current version of Fantasia that you can stream on Disney+. They are two adult women centaurs, who are half zebra instead of half horse. While the fact that they are half zebra alludes to some sort of exotic African heritage, which isn't great, they do not share the same exaggerated features that Sunflower has, which is probably why they are still in the film but their role in the film is to act as servants to Bacchus, the god of wine. If you want to watch a YouTube video that shows the original and edited scenes side by side, we'll have a link posted on our Twitter page.
1: So one segment, one segment we haven't talked about basically at all because we've touched on to this point, I know we I'm pretty sure we've touched on yeah, we've touched on most of them except for Rite of Spring. I want to know your thoughts on that on the Rite of Spring. Which uh that is the one directly after Sources Apprentice.
0: Uh, um, describe a little bit of what happened. I'm Dinosaurs. Oh, thank you. Yes, I was I was thinking like literally all I could think of was like the the flower people that turned into leaves. I don't know. So, okay, I will say, um, I'm glad that they acknowledged dinosaurs were a thing. The only, I kept thinking about this one, like, thing I saw that was, like, that, like, took the skeleton of, like, a chicken And basically, it's like, this is what a T-Rex looks like. So, like, the way that we portray dinosaurs in media isn't actually probably what they looked like. That's all I could think about, really. Um, It wasn't my favorite, honestly. Like, I thought it was really cool. I do, like, I thought that the space scene that opened it was, like, gorgeous. Um, You know, they're just traveling through a bunch of nothing into the galaxy past the sun and everything. I thought that was stunning. Um, I loved the, um, the, like, like, with the little, like, lava spurts. I was like, oh, this is so satisfying. And I think I even noted that, like, I loved the way that the fire looked. It just was, like, it just looked so cool. Um, and then, I mean... I thought it was interesting in that it didn't have a happy ending. It just kind of, like, you know, all the dinosaurs died. And then, like, and they, were, and they were just okay with just being, like, all the dinosaurs died. So that was kind of, it was, like, kind of sad, but then also, like, nice because, like, they personify these dinosaurs really, like humanly almost. And so you see them have like these emotions in their faces. And then when you see them die, you're like, Oh my God, they're thirsty. They just need water. Like, where's the water?
1: It's so upsetting.
0: I know. It's so
1: distressing.
0: And then you're like, 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 and they don't speak. That's the thing. No.
1: Also, I appreciate the fact that like, I, I appreciate the fact that like in, in the intro he's like science tells us this because it was the 40s so you know yeah. puritanical sensor boards and whatnot uh, being like ev- evolution though and they're like this the time, this is what science says shut up it's it's kind of wild right cuz like the dinosaurs stop like the dinosaurs all die out and then it keeps going <laughs> Yeah. And it's just the planet tearing itself apart and like forming continents and stuff. Oh my
0: God. But here's the thing. I wrote this down when it happened when the planet was tearing itself apart because i took uh i took geology in college for one semester and i got an a in the class so i don't want to brag but i kind of i kind of know how plate tectonics work and plate tectonics do not move that quickly or that aggressively they do not just decide one day nope and pull apart like that it's not that intense so that made me really upset
1: yeah, and also all those dinosaurs were like twenty million years apart from each other. So like we're gonna we're gonna shrug it off. Because they're uh, artists, it,
0: they're not geologists. Yeah, it looks
1: cool and it's hella stressful. It's <laughs> uh, so but, stressful.
0: But I will say the intense aggressive plate tectonic movements fit well with the music. So I will I will give them that.
1: That is what we are doing here. That yeah. is
0: what we're working with.
1: Yeah, no, that uh the Rite of Spring stuff is wild. Just cause like you can like with how aggressive the visuals are, like, it's easy to believe that the it's easier to believe that the Rite of Spring caused riots when it was first debuted. <laughs> like that piece of music is kinda notorious for like upsetting a whole bunch of people. Wait, really? Yeah, like because it's it's so discordant and distressing that like I'm pretty sure when it was first debuted and played publicly, um the crowd like revolted because they were like, This is not what class this is not what music is supposed to be, this is not what the symphony is supposed to be and they all like stormed out in a rage because they just could not wrap their minds around
0: it. So that's interesting that then it's paired with this like piece that basically is like evolution is real in puritanical 1940s i will say just from like my end of it and just so the viewer knows um so as i alluded to i'm not like a film nerd by any means um so when i watched this i was more so interested in like the musicality of it and Again, and I've said this with like the other um, with I said this with Snow White, but just the pairing of movement to music. Like there was something like I, it, and even this in like the beginning, like those first two sequences, like I felt like the animators had such a good understanding of the pieces they were working with because the movements of animation, like, were musical in themselves, like, the staccato notes, the, if there was a staccato note playing, the animation was staccato, if it was flowing, if it was supposed to move and, like, fill out, the animation did that as well, um, so kind of just going along with what you said at the beginning about the, um, the, mi- like, the mixing of the senses and all that, like, for me, it was, like, it was just, in see- like, again, like, in the, the the dinosaur sequence um when like the lava spurts timed with the like the the downbeats and everything it's just like that's the stuff that made me really interested and really like and for me it was more so like i could just listen to the music and didn't necessarily need the images but the images just kind of made it feel
6: fuller Well, I am Miranda Dabney. I'm from Oklahoma, but now I live in Washington, D.C. Um, I I work in politics and like kind of PR and communications aspect of all of that. Um, And uh, in my free time, I actually watch a lot of Disney. (laughs) I just got Disney Plus uh, at Christmas when it uh, when it launched. I hang out with my friends. I go do touristy things and Drink mimosas at brunch and all that kind of fun stuff. So, so speaking of songs,
0: <laughs> flipping the page. So when I was reading your survey answers, music came up a lot, and this is yes. like, and this is a theme I noticed throughout a lot of answers we got. Um, everyone was talking about how like the music really makes the movies for them. So I'm going to start off by asking, like, how important are the songs, and how important is the soundtrack?
6: So I think, I think songs are important. They kind of capture emotions in a different way as well. That, uh, really, I don't know, pulling the heartstrings of the people watching and kind of show you like how you should be feeling about what's going on. Um, but that's kind of what the soundtrack does too. And, uh, um, I've been paying attention to this a lot lately. Like when you're watching TV shows, when you're like, like on the bachelor, (laughs) uh, if like the music that they're playing in the background tells you like, Oh, I'm supposed to like this girl. I'm supposed to not like this girl, like something romantic is about to happen or something dramatic is about to happen. And um, so I think the soundtrack is equally important because it kind of sets the tone and the mood without necessarily like overtly doing that. It's really subtle.
1: So since you're, since we're on the topic of soundtracks um, Mm -hmm. and music seems to be a very, very crucial part of your Disney experience, um, I want to ask your opinion on the one Disney film that's almost entirely music. Um, have you seen Fantasia?
6: Several, several times. Okay. Yes.
1: Uh, I would say say something about Fantasia.
6: I think Fantasia is so unique because it's a lot of it, You know, it's just disconnected stories told through music and it's just a visual representation of the music i guess like the I, can't, I don't know what it's called the one with the the brooms that are carrying water and mickey mouse with a wizard's hat is splashing water up <laughs> on like the waves and the sorcerer's uh, apprentice yeah yeah i think uh fantasia has always been kind of like background stuff like like when we go to my grandpa's house we'll put Fantasia on and we'll just all sit in the living room and Fantasia will be on the TV and we'll just be hanging out talking so it's kind of like stuff that's going on in the background but like it's still contributing to the climate and the culture of what's going on around you right there in the moment um but it's not something that like I'll sit and watch like just staring at a TV um and doing nothing else the way that I'll watch other movies but um I think Fantasia I mean, it's a different kind of music than you get in your in most Disney movies. It's more of like your orchestra type, um, type stuff. And so I think it it helps. Like when I was younger, like that was probably the only kind of situation I was in where I was listening to that kind of music. Um, But it was beautiful, and I loved it. So, so those are my thoughts on Fantasia.
5: I recently rewatched Fantasia. And my mind was just blown at how they chose to represent these wonderful pieces of music. Since as I've gotten older, I've appreciated classical more. And Tchaikovsky is my favorite classical compu- composer. And why did they choose to have alligators and hippos and tutus? And you know, some of the animation choices were just a little mind-blowing as an adult. So I can see why it didn't do as well as the studio had hoped. Um, But it's still one of those that I enjoy because it introduces children to classical composers. And children aren't always introduced to such complicated orchestral music.
0: So you would say that the alligators in tutus, um, or hippos in tutus, you don't think that matched well with the piece?
5: I didn't. And um, and and the ostriches on point was also one of those where the animation kind of distracted from the music. As an adult, uh, I'm sure as a child it's different because it's fun watching a hippo dance around in a tutu. But as an adult, uh, this is such complex, such emotional music. That is the ugliest ostrich I've seen in my life. Why is it wearing a tutu and dancing on points? It's very distracting. <laughs>
1: I mean, I fundamentally disagree. I think the answer the hours is perfect. I think that thing rules.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that that's fine. That's, a uh, little, that's mm-hmm. the wonder of, of fandom, mm-hmm. is, you know you find what works for you the most but I was mind blown several times at the most recent rewatch of Fantasia like really I did not remember this
0: was there any sequence in Fantasia where you felt the music and the animation worked well together
5: I loved the Greek centaur scene. Mm. Uh, The music was, I don't remember the composer, but it was very light, very flowy, and I felt like as the storm rolled in across the Greek centaur and the um, unicorn pegasus scene, that it very well represented the music itself. Mm. And so that scene I felt really matched with the composer.
0: one more thing with the right the, the right of the right of spring is that what it's mm-hmm. called yes it is yeah so you know what you were saying earlier about things that you look and you're like oh you could draw that back to fantasia when they were revealing the t-rex they did a classic disney villain reveal <laughs> where they did like the sharp like spin and then like Focus, hyper focus on the di- on the T Rex, and then go, and then the dissonance of like that, <laughs> and then he's yeah, just standing there then like, like
1: ah! and then it like kind of gets quiet for a bit, and then shit pops off.
0: Exactly,
1: man that that Stegosaurus fight is sad. It's so sad.
0: <laughs> he was trying so hard with a little tail. He was like, I can kill, I can do it, I can do it. And the T Rex is like, Nah.
1: <laughs> I also i <laughs> I love in the intro where. <laughs> Deems Taylor is like, yeah, they were mo- they were mostly amicable by nature. I'm like, my guy, they were dinosaurs. They were not amicable by nature.
0: Well, especially when like you have like that flying one going down, and then it like gets the fish, and then like like the crocodile dinosaur comes up and like eats the flying dinosaur, and you're just like, oh, this is the world we live in.
1: As a child, for some re- because of this, I thought pterodactyls were going to be a way more Frequent problem I had to deal with.
0: I mean, they I could just not, come down and swoop up Young Harrison I, at any time.
1: <laughs> I do not like. I I like it. It makes me incredibly uneasy. Their diving sequence, like it, for some reason, it just unnerves me so deeply.
0: You kind of mentioned beforehand that you felt for the Nutcracker, the, the like the the weakest part of this movie was the fish scene in the Nutcracker sequence.
1: So I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um I just don't think I think it's less visually appealing and the music in that section is kind of dull. Um generally I think I think that like specific sequence is the weakest for me if we're going to talk about overall weakest in terms of like whole chunks. Uh I think the weakest for me is See that's the problem because they're all bangers. Um <laughs> I think it is I think the weakest one is um I think the weakest one for me is Takata and Fugue and D minor. Um not just because of not just the the animation is cool. Um but I think we spend too much time on the actual orchestra uh and then move into the animation which is good but i also don't think the animation li- lines up perfectly in places where other stuff where other other sequences line up and sync up better um i like a lot of the nutcracker suite a whole bunch but it has the most troubling aspects in it um the mushrooms are super cute and i really like their dance Except for the fact that they're Chinese.
0: Racial
6: stereotypes.
1: I really like the flower dancing. I really like the flower, like the thistle and the, the, the lady flowers dancing. I really like that sequence. Except they're just Russian.
0: Racial stereotypes.
1: So like, I have to try and balance that internally of like, oh, this is not good. But also, the little mushroom wants to dance. <laughs> so I get. I guess I have to cancel the mushroom though. So I just. I just want him to dance.
0: One last thing I want to end on. Freaking the sorcerer being Moses, imparting the sea that is in his. Listen. <laughs> Can we just? I get it. But-
1: <laughs> Yen Sid is incredible. He is a Keyblade Master. He has taught many Keyblade Masters. We leave Yen Sid alone. Yen Sid is innocent.
0: I'm not hating on it. It, That actually was, for me, the most entertaining part of the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence. For me, that was the one I disliked the most, surprisingly enough, even though it's like the most popular. It just didn't do it for me. I don't know. But the part when... Yensen, I guess, is his name.
1: Yen Sid. It's Disney Sid. backwards. It's backwards split in half. Holy... You okay?
0: <laughs> I'm having a moment. I was <laughs> like, what kind of name is Yen Sid? Disney spelled backwards. Um, So when Yen Sid just, like freaking parts when he's just like i'm done with this and resolves everything i'm like it's just the biggest sigh of relief <laughs> I'm like and also that was just epic just watching him be like no no go away and then the c is just like okay yeah
1: yeah i i think i really like that one because the mag they're mag- the magic they're using is just conducting they're conducting music so I think it's I think it's a really really clever way to integrate the quote-unquote magic of animation which Disney pedals but also the magical aspects of music um into this narrative um and just like the dream where he's literally he's up on the conductor's stand and he's like like doing all the hand stuff to like make the stars cascade and make that noise and then the symbols as the cra- as the crash comes up and he's like doing the the hand movements this is an audio podcast so you can't see my <laughs> hand motions um, but i think it's i think it's a really inter- i think it's another layer to it all that i really enjoy um which is then honestly reinforced by the fact that when that is over, Mickey Mouse himself comes out into the live-action bit to shake Stakovsky's hand. Stakovsky's not having it, by the way. He's like, fine, you're paying me to do this, but I'm not going to enjoy it. Because <laughs> he takes so long to acknowledge Mickey, and he's like, congratulations to you too, Mickey. Goodbye. <laughs> he's not having it. It's he's very not. funny to me.
0: He's not. See, I guess I recognize that. Yeah, it was because it's very obvious, especially when he's sleeping, that Mickey's, like, you know, being the conductor. I guess it just didn't really excite me as much.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, it kind of helps that Yen Sid has, like, in terms of the hair... um, profile wise reminds me of Stakovsky. So like we only ever really see Stakovsky from behind, but he's kinda got that like wild and hair out there. Also, the way they light Stakovsky is horrifying. I am like right? that man scares that man scares me.
0: Right? Especially when you start with that song in the beginning of the name that I don't know and it's like the really it's like you hear it in every gothic the movie. Very, the, the very the very
1: famous one. The one that you expect yes, that, to hear on a pipe organ.
0: Da, 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 that one and like Takata and, and, D- and Fugue D minor Takata and Fugue D minor he puts his hand out and the light turns his face red freaking red how are how is a child supposed to watch that and not be scared of him and then when he denies Mickey Mouse like that
1: <laughs> honestly <laughs> yeah it's pretty great um but yeah, no. We were we talked about we talked about earlier how like you look at Chernobyl and you go, oh yeah, that's Satan. I'm like, uh-uh. You look at Leopold Stokowski. That man is Satan. <laughs> this is this is a joke. I mean, no ill will to the Stokowski estate. Please do not sue me. Uh, I'm protected by the First Amendment. Thank you.
0: <laughs> well, that's all we got for this week. You can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Isaac and on Instagram at Alex Isaac underscore.
1: You can find me on Twitter at play underscore champion.
0: You can also follow the show at Dream Deeper Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can write to us at dreamalittledeeperpod at gmail.com. Thank you to all of our guests for taking time to talk to us. You can follow Jack on his blog, The Neon Kaldonian. You can follow Justin at J underscore O underscore Rollins on Twitter. You can follow Kaylee at Kaylee underscore Spiel on Instagram. You can follow Lindsay S at Lexington Sierra on Twitter. And you can follow Miranda at Miranda Dabs on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Thank you all so much for listening. Join us next time as we discuss Dumbo. Until then, dream on, silly
4: dreamers.